What will President Biden's executive order on vaccines mean to employers? Consumers don't seem to have any patience when it comes to supply chain challenges and dealing with generational change. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the group editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Zebra Technologies. As demand increases, so does the cost to run legacy operations, leaving small and growing warehouses asking, how can I boost warehouse efficiency? The answers in black and white. Automate your operations with digital solutions from Zebra Technologies. Zebra has tools tailored to meet your needs that will inspire inventory visibility, drive prescriptive actions, and fuel data-driven performance to cut down costs. Get the answers at zebra.com slash the answer. That's zebra.com slash the answer. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, several weeks ago, President Biden issued an executive order mandating that COVID-19 vaccines be required for employers of larger companies. Of course, the goal is to counter surges in new COVID cases. But what does this mean for employers and their workers? To address this topic, we welcome Steve Bell, an attorney and partner at the international law firm Dorsey & Whitney. Steve works in the firm's Denver office and deals with labor and employment practice. He's been advising employers on how to handle vaccine issues and mandates. Welcome to the Logistics Matter, Steve. Great to have you with us today. Great to be here, Dave. Thank you very much for having me. To begin, can you just give us details of what the executive order entails? Actually, there were two executive orders, one dealing with federal employees and federal contractors. And the second one was uh, a request by the, to, for the Department of Labor, uh, OSHA, to develop a rule requiring employers with 100 or more employees uh, to uh, vaccinate or conduct weekly tests uh, to determine whether the uh, employee had contracted COVID. So that rule is still being drafted by OSHA. We would expect that it would be issued probably in the next uh, 30 to 45 days is a best guess estimate. And when would that take effect? Do we have an idea on when that will occur? Presumably the, uh, the um, rule to be issued by OSHA would take effect promptly, maybe even immediately. So I'm guessing it would be uh, in effect 30 to 45 days from now, but there may be a time uh, to allow employers to come into compliance and get their uh, workforce uh, vaccinated or begin testing. So exactly what are the responsibilities that employers would have under these mandates? Uh, Other than just checking, is there a reporting mechanism, or or do we know yet what all of this entails? Unfortunately, we don't know what the details are. In other words, it could be that the uh, rule will require that the employer not only uh, identify those employees that have successfully vaccinated, but there may be some reporting requirement uh, to the Department of Labor. We haven't seen the rule yet. Uh, I would uh, anticipate that there is going to be 
uh, a self-compliance, so to speak, by the employer. In other words, they're required to, uh, to assure that their workforce is vaccinated or testing, uh, but probably not a reporting uh, requirement, but we'll see. We'll have to wait and see for the uh, rule to come out. If there is no reporting required on this, then how do they enforce it? And are there any penalties for p companies that don't comply? So uh, it would be like uh, many of the other OSHA workplace rules. Uh, there would be um, a, a review or a potential review of employers to assure that they are complying with the rule. Um, and uh, failure uh, to comply could result in an employer uh, being um, uh, fined for uh, failure to comply with the OSHA rules. Right, but at this point, we don't know about any penalties that could be imposed. That's correct. Uh, again, we're kind of, uh, we're, we're in the blind, so to speak. We know this rule is coming down the pipeline. We know that it's going to apply to employers with 100 or more employees, but the details of the rule uh, have yet to be uh, worked out. And, uh, you know, as soon as we, um, as we see the rule, we can analyze and perhaps have another uh, discussion about the details. Yeah. As we know, with anything that's been related with COVID regulation, there's been pushback by people who are opposed to vaccinations and, and other legal challenges. What do you expect to be the outcome of this? Do you, uh, and and well, what are those legal challenges that you've seen so far? Uh, well, there have been some legal challenges. Uh, and Almost uniformly, to my mind, uh, uniformly, the uh, courts have uh, indicated that worker that, that workers being required to uh, be vaccinated by an employer, uh, that's part of the employer's uh, choice. And in this case, because we're, we're not yet uh, enforcing the rule, but uh, those employees who have attempted to um, uh, defeat an employer's uh, requirement for the workplace for vaccination uh, have met with um, a resounding no. You uh, you need to abide by whatever uh, reasonable um, workplace rules the employer sets up. I would anticipate that the same would be true for any challenge to the rule that uh, uh, OSHA is now constructing. Yeah, and according to the law, is this considered a reasonable requirement? Yes, it is. In, in other words, that's what uh, thus far uh, the courts have been saying. And because OSHA is charged with workplace safety uh, and uh, the arguments for by employers is that this is part of uh, a conducting a safe workplace. In other words, we want uh, healthy individuals working here, not being able to uh, transmit um, a, a communicable disease. So uh, th this is part of the uh, employer's um, um, choice to have a safe uh, and healthy workplace. And uh, I, I anticipate that uh, the courts are going to say the same thing with regard to the OSHA rule, that this is a, a reasonable um, tack to take by employers and OSHA. Without getting deeply into politics here, if it's considered a reasonable act or a reasonable mandate, why are we seeing so much pushback if it's considered something to help make the, the workplace more safe and, and uh, keep workers healthy? 
Well, unfortunately, Dave, uh, we, we are in uh, times when uh, a lot of these things have taken on some uh, overtones of politics. And uh, while there, has, there have been, over the years, questions about uh, the safety and perhaps even efficacy of uh, vaccines, uh, this um, particular vaccine has come to have some uh, political overtones to it. And uh, so um, we see a, a, probably more resistance than we have in the past uh, to you know, mandatory vaccine. Uh, that said, it seems that the science is definitely on the side of, the, uh, um, of those saying that this vaccine is safe, it's effective, uh, and it will create better working conditions for uh, both the employees in the, employ in the workplace, as well as those clients and customers coming in contact with uh, the employer's employees. We work in the uh, supply chain industry. That's, that's the area that we cover. Are there any particular aspects you can see that would be covering warehouse workers, uh, transportation workers, truck drivers, and those sort of things? Well, uh, the, the anticipated uh, rule is going to cover all employers with 100 or more employees. And uh, there are no kind of carve outs. To my mind, you know, this is uh, pretty straightforward. I don't anticipate seeing anything that's unique to your industry. Uh, we're basically dealing with uh, a, a pure numbers game. If uh, one of your constituent um, uh, employers has uh, 100 or more employees, they're going to be subject to this OSHA rule. Uh, so it looks like these uh, mandates are coming and um, employers should be anticipating that they're going to be needing to uh, enforce this within their businesses. Is that correct? That's correct, Dave. And like I said, I think we'll be uh, 30 to 45 days. We'll see the rule. We'll see the details about if there's any reporting requirements and uh, happy to come back on and talk about those details uh, uh, if, uh, if your constituents uh, would like that information. We've been talking to Steve Bell, an attorney for the law firm of Dorsey & Whitney, LLP. Steve, thanks for an informative discussion today. It was a pleasure having you with us. Thank you, Dave. Uh, appreciate being on. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Victoria, you reported this week about how consumers are still demanding fast service despite many of the supply chain challenges we've seen. Can you tell us more? Yes, absolutely. Happy to, Dave. So um, as peak holiday shipping season gets underway, shoppers are putting real uh, retailers and their supply chains to the, to the test again this year. And that's mainly because consumers say they know there are delays, disruptions, and challenges out there, but say they say they're not planning to adjust their own buying patterns to deal with those issues. Um, among the issues consumers say they're worried about uh, this holiday season is out-of-stock items, shipping delays, high prices of goods, and higher shipping costs this year than last year. All of this information comes from the fifth annual holiday survey from Last Mile Technology Firm Convey by Project 44. Uh, they polled 1,300 U.S. consumers and found that despite those consumers' concerns about product shortages and shipping delays, most of them don't plan to start their holiday shopping early. 
and they still expect fast free delivery. Just to give you a few more statistics from the survey, um, almost 60% of the respondents said they plan to start their shopping at the same time or even later than they did last year. And 37% of those said they're willing to give retailers um, more than one or two extra days um, to, deliver, to deliver items. Um, to put a finer point on it, even amidst the warnings of shipping disruptions and higher costs, as I mentioned earlier, most respondents said, you know, they still want free shipping and on-time delivery, that those are keys to the holiday shopping experience. And almost all of them, it was like 98%, I think, said they want retailers to notify them if their delivery will be late. And another two-thirds said they won't shop with a brand again after a poor delivery experience. So these are all sentiments we've heard in the past in the you know, past few years. Um, but uh, the message seems to be that, you know, despite the snags and challenges out there, you know, retailers and shippers really should still be prepared to meet the higher service and delivery expectations uh, customers have become accustomed to um, over the past year and a half. There just seems to be no mercy out there among the general public. No, it doesn't seem to be that way. So in light of that, what can companies do to meet these expectations? Yeah, well, that's a tough one. First of all, just be aware of the situation and be as transparent and upfront as possible about your shipping and delivery process, any delays and so forth. Um, interestingly, the survey also noted that retailers in particular should, and I'm quoting, assume that their customers shop at Amazon too, and that those shoppers bring expectations set by the online retailer's speed and efficiency. You know, this is known as the Amazon effect we've talked about for years. Um, but uh, the survey found that eight out of 10 respondents said their household has an Amazon Prime membership, and that percentage rises to 89% for more affluent uh, households. So the message is, you know, know who you're up against and try to provide service levels that address um, consumers' concerns. Uh, many industry experts have also said that, you know, they expect to see companies start offering discounts and other incentives to shop early, as we've seen, as we saw last year. Um, so we'll likely see those efforts as well. Um, one other thing that I thought was interesting, um, they mentioned that where possible, the survey mentioned that where possible, retailers should focus on same-day store pickup. This is a really important um, offering for many consumers and especially younger ones. Uh, the survey found that more than 40% of respondents said that this is an important feature this holiday season, but that number rises to 54% among the uh, 18 to 29 year old uh, age group. So there are a few things you can do, um, but uh, I guess it's mostly, you know, uh, just deal with the challenges and, and, and good luck to everyone involved. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thank you, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, we were both at the MHI annual conference this week where we saw a lot of old friends and had a chance to catch up on what's hot in supply chain and material handling these days. What were some of the key takeaways for you at the MHI annual conference? Uh, yeah, exactly. The, the event was notable for a number of reasons. Um, the first one, as you alluded to, um, was that we had to board planes and fly to Arizona to go to it because um, instead of just checking in on our laptop uh, Zoom screens, we were there in person. And uh, of, of course, that follows you know a good year, year and a half uh, when a lot of shows were not happening that way. But you know, in, in these last few weeks, uh, Dave, I know you've been traveling as well. Uh, so some of the live shows in our sector of the industry um, have included CSCMP Edge, uh, where the three of us were, uh, as well as uh, ITA. Parcel Forum and Home Delivery World, uh, but we uh, were talking in this case about uh, MHI um, and some of the themes that we discussed at that meeting um, included 
uh, some of the you know headaches and challenges that Victoria was just talking about um, that related to the the huge continuing e-commerce boom, um, as well as you know backups at maritime ports uh, and and labor shortages both for trucking and warehousing. Right, and and there were sessions and as well as uh, side discussions as well talking about some of the solutions to some of those issues that we've been dealing with. Uh, what, what did you hear? Exactly, yeah. So the, the way that MHI is organized, um, it has a, a number of industry groups, they call them, um, you know, to, to look at, um, say, robotics or conveyors or hoists or racks, all the different um, nuts and bolts of material handling. Uh, and one of the uh, panelists uh, that we heard from um, in, in, a, in a general keynote discussion uh, was from a group called the Diverse Manufacturing Supply Chain Alliance. And uh, in reference to uh, labor shortages, uh, he discussed the importance um, of digitalization and automation. Uh, that's related to labor, because if you can make uh, your operations more efficient, um, then you, know, you can accomplish more with less. Um, and as well, um, you know, he pointed out how logistics providers um, have some room for improvement um, to, you know, recruit more broadly, more diversely. Um, and he made an interesting point um, that logistics providers in general should, of course, seize the opportunity for new business. But if a client's needs don't match up with your company's strengths, then it might be best to give it a pass. Um, so, you know, in a world where things are so incredibly busy, um, you know, another option uh, might be to, to cut, trim your schedule a little bit uh, in terms of your customer base. Another session uh, was the uh, solutions community uh, at, at the MHI show. Uh, and we learned that they just formed two new subcommittees uh, to allow for new uh, developments in this sector. And that includes software and batteries. Uh, both of which are found in almost anything uh, you know that, that we use, except maybe uh, you know just for a storage rack nowadays. A, a, a third point that we heard uh, in terms of some answers to these challenges um, was from a professor uh, from the University of Tennessee, and he was speaking about uh, some of the truths uh, that are within the stereotypes involved in uh, the broad generational change that we're seeing. Um, there was, of course, a wave of baby boomers increasingly retiring uh, from all across the nation, including material handling. Uh, and they're gonna be, of course, replaced by younger workers um, from Generation Y or Gen Z. Um, but he was pointing out that there are some value gaps, as he called it, uh, between those two groups that can make it hard for them to work together or to hire and recruit unless they're dressed in the right way. A uh, Couple examples are that Gen Z workers uh, tend to more drop in and out of education uh, and instead of finishing college and grad school entirely before they enter the workplace. Um, Gen Z workers, uh, he said, are also digital natives, of course. Um, so they involve technology much more in their work. Um, they place very high values on social and environmental factors. Uh, they don't tend to work well with hierarchical structures, uh, but they have great strengths in collaboration and virtual workspaces, which kind of combines uh, some of those other attributes. So uh, it, it, it's interesting. It, it's it's a, a different skill set that's being brought to bear here, um, and, and we need a lot of that to tackle those challenges. Yeah, we certainly do. Um, takeaway from the, I think the biggest takeaway from the conference myself was just that uh, the industry is well aware of a lot of the challenges that uh, our our listeners are facing out there with some of the supply chain disruptions, and they're developing technologies and operational efficiencies to to address a lot of those challenges. So 
um, I, I think that's good to see that the industry is coming together and is and is ready and willing to to meet the challenges that we're all facing. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks, Ben. We really appreciate it. Uh, th thanks for your reporting on that. And we encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And also check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights from our news this week. I enjoyed it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks. And again, our thanks to Steve Bell of the law firm of Dorsey & Whitney for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Zebra Technologies. As demand increases, so does the cost to run legacy operations leaving small and growing warehouses asking, how can I boost warehouse efficiency? The answers in black and white. Automate your operations with digital solutions from Zebra Technologies. Zebra has tools tailored to meet the needs that will inspire inventory visibility, drive prescriptive actions, and fuel data-driven performance to cut down costs. Get the answers at zebra.com slash the answer. That's zebra.com slash the answer. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we will look at how supply chains can get ahead of expected holiday-induced disruptions. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.